1: This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland.
0: Welcome back to Afternoons with Mike on the line with me today. I'm so excited to talk to this young man. He has played a couple of years in the NFL long enough to win a Super Bowl ring, I might add. Antonio Robinson was born in a time and in a place where many would have thought there wasn't much hope for this young man. But a guy by the name of Noah Wilbanks, our good friend, the FCA director now in North Central Florida, who used to be in South Florida, had a major uh, connection with Antonio. And it is my privilege to help unpack all of that for us today, as we welcome Antonio Robinson. Welcome to my program.
1: Oh man, I'm a pleasure to be here and and, and share my story and, and, and get the good information out
0: when it's so great to read a story that goes from, I guess you could say, almost as low as one can imagine going and then seeing how God does such a work in your life that changed everything and not only changed it in one's heart and in one's, uh, I guess you could say, uh, in their own peace of mind, uh, the way he did in your life. But he also brought you to a place of unbelievable uh, stature in the world and actually playing for the Green Bay Packers and winning a Super Bowl. Now, that is, that is a climb, my friend. So let's start back in the beginning. Tell us about your birth.
1: When I was born, my mom gave birth to me in, uh, in Miami, Florida, in Liberty City. The Scott projects, that's where my mom is from. Um, it's a heart of Miami. And when I asked my mom, I didn't know how my birth went, but when my mom, yeah, <laughs> of course, got not. Older, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I, asked, I asked my mom, uh I said, um, what happened at birth? And she she shared the story with me. And she told me, she said, from birth, you know, um, her mom didn't want her to have any more kids, my mom was on drugs, and that was the reason why. So, uh, my mom. She got pregnant and she tried to hide me. So she would she told me she did a lot of cutting grass and lifting heavy objects. And she moved around a lot because she was just trying to hide me. She wore a lot of big clothes and stuff like that. But she said one day she had to use the restroom. And as she was going to the restroom, she was in a lot of pain, but she just felt like she just had to use the restroom. And I came out. Wow. And she she gave birth to me right there on the toilet, man. And and uh when the amylams came. They said who cut his umbilical cord my mom said we didn't do it my grandmother was there um and my mom was there so the MLM says you i mean uh, the 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 um, paramedic the guy said his umbilical cord is cut perfect so from when she told me that story from that point you know i was a lot more i was older i was like 29 years old but when she told me the story of everything that i overcame in life and all the obstacles i was saying yeah man it was the real good purpose of why i was here so um, thank God I never took my life, which many times in life I tried to do it. But And, and, and that's my message to a lot of people, um, just getting to understand your, your, your history, your parents, and, and ask questions, man. I think that's important. And whenever you feel down and out, whenever you feel like life is crashing on you, I think you just got to go back to the roots and understand so you can have a clear more understanding of what's taking place in your life. And that's what I did. So was that story as play. to who
0: cut the cord? Was that ever established or substantiated?
1: No, I, I they never. Yeah, um, I, I want to say it maybe popped out and maybe cut off when, when my mom gave birth. I, I'm not sure. She never really um, got into details about it. Wow. But um, yeah, it was interesting when I heard, and I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. Uh, but it made sense of why I was able to overcome. And a lot of people that asked me, I was like. How in the heck did you make it? Yeah, you know, and that's one of the biggest things they tell me. They asked me, man, and and um, it was something different about me. That's all I can say, man. It was just something, cause my brother, there's a lot more other people went through what I went through, but a lot of people they don't they don't make it out. Yeah, they yeah. don't make it out.
0: Yeah, your mom was involved, like you said, in drugs, and I know that she was not really even all that present to help you as you were growing up. You had another family member, right?
1: correct correct so so my mom's sister she took care of me um majority of my 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 childhood life and then I have two aunties that I moved with but it was it was it was challenging man um I, I really uh, hats off to my aunts that, that brought me in and I know I'm a dad now It's challenging even raising your own kid so my first aunt she had six kids of her own plus me and my brother so it was a, it was a low man it was challenging for her and, you know, back in the 80s, man, it was tough, man. It was just tough. It was very poor. We didn't have much. And it was just challenging. She was an educator. Um, so me and my brother was like the black sheep. Um, everything got crashed on us. Now, as far as her, she did a great job of making sure we had shoes on our feet, clothes on our back, food in our mouth. But, you know, we struggled. But I just always felt like, you know, we was the black sheep. We got treated a little different. Which makes sense, you know, the older you get. And I just accepted my life. I accepted my cars that was dealt to me. And, you know, I embraced it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was challenging, man. I got so, so in that household, my first trial in that household, I was seven years old. And I was one of the few kids, my auntie used to smoke cigarettes that I didn't like smoke, period. So, whenever she would smoke, I would feel weird. You know, I couldn't talk, I couldn't breathe. Hmm. So, one night, um, my auntie will always have the candles lit in the house. That was something that we did at nighttime. I think it was more of a, a a vibe or whatever she felt. She felt like she needed the candle lit in the house. And me and my cousins was laying in the living room, and the house catches on fire.
0: Oh, my goodness. So,
1: I'm the first one to wake up. So, I, I, I wake up the poster child, which is uh, my cousin. His name was Cyrus at the time. His name was Cyrus. But... You know, and I always wanted to be like Cyrus because his mom, she admired him, you know. And that's all I really wanted, man. I was just wanted um, her to admire me. I wanted her to believe in me. And um, so Cyrus was like one of my best cousins. Like, I, I, I admired him. I wanted to be like him. And um, so I, woke, I he's the first person that I wake up. And I'm like, Cyrus, the house is on fire. He runs in the room. He goes to tell his mom. His mom comes out. And she just, she's upset. She's, she's like, who, who set my house on fire? Cyrus, so he points at me, he said, Tony told me the house on fire. Oh. From that point on, I get my butt <laughs> whooped. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. So that was the first trial of my, my life where I was like, wow, man.
0: So obviously they got the fire out, right?
1: Yes, yes. We got the fire out, and uh, it burnt up all, um, just half of the living room. Um, but it was out. Man. And from that point on, man my life was totally different. Oh, wow. Um, it was, uh, it, I was the target. So, and yet you know, you're
0: the one that saved, uh, saved them all really by waking correct. up Cyrus.
1: Correct. Yeah, mm. man. I, and, and, and from that, for so, so as my life continued to go goes on, I, I just never, I never believed in God at that age either. So I was, my auntie kept us in church and uh, we went to church on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, And I was just like a a mute person because all the pain that I was facing and all the unanswered questions that I had in my head, I'm like, I'm confused, man. So I just got silent and -hmm. I was trying to figure stuff out. So when the pastor would talk or when the youth pastor would talk, I wasn't listening. Like, you know, you got the verse in the Bible that you have eyes and you don't hear. I mean, you can't see, you have ears and you can't hear. And that was me. No matter what they were saying, I was not listening. And I had so much stuff going on in my head to where I was complicating whether I wanted to be on earth or not, you know? So, um, you know, life was getting very challenging for me at that time.
0: Sure. Yeah. Boy, you've had a tough time at that point and yet you're alive. Thank God you're alive. You're growing on up. At what point in time did things ever start changing for you?
1: Um, wow, man. So, so, um, when I, when I turned 11 years old, I get kicked out and that's when I'm experiencing like just being homeless at a time, but I'm only homeless for like one day. So my auntie kicked me out. I get on the Metro rail and I go to an house and I sleep on a porch
0: at 11 years old. You're kicked out of the house. Correct. Oh my goodness.
1: And so, and so, and so I get on the Metro rail Well, I go to the store and I asked for a dollar, I asked the guys for some money and some um, I ended up getting about a hundred, a $1, dollar, a dollar and 50 cents just to get on the Metro rail and the bus. And I go about maybe 45 minutes from where I was at. And I go to an auntie house. I just remember where she lived and I get off on, I I'd do everything correct. And I was like, hopefully I I'd get off on the right bus and, and stuff like that. So, like, I I'd get on a, and I sleep on a porch at the time. This aunt was was going to church. And I think she was at church. She didn't get out of church until like 12 o'clock at night or something like that. So when she came home, she just seen me sleeping on her porch. You know, I haven't seen this aunt in probably over six years. Oh, so when God. she saw me, she was like, what are you doing on my porch? And, and I explained everything to her. She let me come in and I live with her. And then two years later, she kicks me out. Oh. So, you know, at that point, the next step is my where I'm living with my mom and my brother. Well, we're not living with her, but we're on the streets with my mom. My mom, she had me and my brother sleeping at one of her friends' house. And she was on drugs real bad at the time. And I think I was 14, maybe 13 years old at that age. I mean, at that time, I was 13 years old, going on 14. I was still in the middle. of my last year of middle school. And it was my first time in a long time because we haven't seen my, uh, we, we have, me and my brother haven't seen my mother, our mother since we was two years old. So at that time, I'm looking and I'm ashamed of my mom, you know. And I'm looking at her. My brother was more like he didn't care. He mm-hmm. was more he laughed stuff off, you know. And I was more serious. I was more like I, I got to change this man, you know. I, I can't I can't do this. So. You know, when I saw that, when I saw my mom on drugs, and she sent us to another person's house, you know, and this lady was, you know, she was she was good to us, and you know, her son sold drugs, and you know, so we was around a lot of evil stuff, but I was still able to to see to 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 slow down, slow my mind down, and be able to see certain things that the average person probably couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And so after that, eventually, my auntie from the first aunt, she. She had came and got me and my brother because um, I want to say HRS was they was owner and stuff like that and um, about us and saying they missing school, they need to be in school. Me and my brother wasn't going to school for over three weeks, and so we moved back with her and my brother get kicked out of the house. He's 14. He's he's done. He, he goes into the streets. Then eventually he goes into foster care, and I'm hearing the stories about my brother and I'm like I can't I can't do that. You know, I'm, I just I'm going to just sit and deal with all this stuff that I'm going through. And that's what I did. I learned from him. I said, well, I'm not going to go to foster care and get and go through what he's going through. Yeah. So I just want to sit here and I'll just deal with this pain.
0: How old were you, you at know? this point?
1: Four, about 13, 13 mm-hmm. going on 14. Yeah. And one day I come home. And um, my auntie, she gives me a, a, a pop soda. And some chips. She said, "Go upstairs and clean the restroom." So I go upstairs and I eat my chips and I drink my soda. And she comes upstairs. She loses it. She's she's going crazy and she's trying to beat me with this fan. And I I grabbed the fan and I grabbed her and we fell on the, we fall on the bed. And all I'm doing is just really protecting myself because mm-hmm. I don't want to get hit with this fan. She called the police. She said I punched and choked her. I go to jail. Now I'm incarcerated before my ninth grade year. Mm. And at this point right here, this is this is where life is like, wow, man, I, I don't want to be here no more because I don't try Like everything. I, I'm like at this point, I'm, I'm, I don't gave up mentally. So I'm in the jail, banging my head against the wall. And, but something stood out to me in the spiritual realm and it was very divine. And before, you know, like I was telling you, I was atheist when I went to process and process, you sit for 24 hours. That's law. I sat for three days. As I got older and I started to figure out my story, I noticed something about that. It took Christ three days to rose from the dead. So I knew something was divine in this moment. When I sat for those three days in process, they, the officers, they came in and said, look, we forgot you was in here. We thought we brought another person in here. Mm. But I was in there for those whole three days in process. and process, to have people more understanding, clarity of clarity what it is. You sit in a room, you don't go to your unit, because in the juvenile, you have a unit where you go where you're around other mm-hmm. kids. Sure. Process you're isolated by yourself. And so I was in isolated by myself for three days and I was going crazy. Going on like the third day, I fall to my knees and I cry and I, I say, God, if you real, get me out of here. And I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I got real desperate and I was at a time of my life, I'm like, I gotta get out of here, but I can't can't live. And I noticed something I came to myself. And I said something is bigger than all of us. There's no way I don't have no parents. My family members are turning on me. And the officers they looked me dead in my face and they said, "Look, we know you didn't do this, but we still got to take you to jail." It ran like my brain couldn't fathom that. And I said, and that I gave God a chance. And I said, God, if you're real. When I got out of the juvenile, um, that's when I meet Noah Webbanks. So I meet Noah. In genesis i go to a park near the projects mm-hmm. and in this project you got a lot of selling drugs prostituting you got a lot of that stuff going on normally in this in this community majority of the people that live there are black they're not white people there so when i saw noah on the park and the park is kind of connected to the projects noah was training a, a guy named genesis but noah was really out there giving the gospel you know so but I didn't know that I just went out there and sat on the bench and I see two guys tr- doing football and I, you know, I was a football guy and I liked football. So I just stood there as a little kid and Noah come up and he introduced himself to me. He's giving me his full name. And, um, Genesis walks up to me and Noah said, well, he said, what school you were at? And I didn't tell him, I just got out of jail. I just said, well, I go to South Dade. And he said, well, I went to South Dade high school as well. And then from there, we just continue to go on he said look you come here for free I wouldn't charge you for anything just bring a Bible verse and never use profanity and be on time and I train you for free wow and man my life was was different from that it got it got kind of worse as far as um, what was happening to me in the physical realm but far as in the spiritual realm I started to understand life different now because mm-hmm. it was like no matter what happened to me in the physical realm, I'll have peace of mind, you know what I'm saying? My mind was yeah. like, Phew. and I started to, that's when my perspective started to change. I became wise. Um, and I literally, I was telling myself, I don't care if I get my butt whoop. I don't care if I get kicked out of this house again. I know I'm going to be all right. Because the words that I'm hearing from the, the Bible, it was like food to me. And it was pleasing to my soul and it was giving me rest. And so um, when I would go out there, I thought I was going out there to play football, to do routes and stuff like that. As Noah started to read the, the, the Bible verses, and I remember one particular verse that stood out to me at an early age. It was saying, if you lay your burdens onto me, I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. And, but Noah would break it down. And he was saying, your burdens are your trials. Anything you're going through, that you got to lay that on to Jesus and just give it to him. And so I'm just thinking in my head and I was, and Noah didn't know I was going through anything at all. He just was out there just doing his job. And like I always tell Noah, man, you stepped out of your comfort zone, you know, and mm-hmm. um, thank God you did. And, you know, as I got to know Noah, you know, his dad was, was on drugs, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it was it, it was very like intriguing to me to, to see how everything played down. I was like, wow, man, you know, if you step out of your comfort zone, life is you, you 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 you're going to do what god designed you to do on this earth so
0: antonio robinson is my guest today former nfl player played for the green bay packers won a super bowl ring but a story like this who would have believed it and we'll be back with him in a moment this is afternoons with mike pastors and financial leaders do you need expert accounting or tax help do you have payroll or 1099 questions Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study Antonio Robinson is my guest he's on the line from South Florida and he met this guy that we love and know Noah Wilbanks and we've heard that story just moments ago I want to dig back though a little bit into your background which you described in such completeness and and thinking about what must have been like for you Antonio it must have seemed you must have had many days where you just thought there's no hope for me there's no. Plan. There's no path that I'm going to be able to follow to get out of this. You end up in a juvenile detention and over things that you really didn't even do. You weren't even really guilty, and they even told you that. You spent three days in isolation. I think any one of those things, much less the kind of the sum total of them all, should have left you where you were bitter, angry, and and perhaps a a uh, candidate for suicide. How did you escape that?
1: Well, I definitely experienced all three, bitter, angry, and suicide. It was tough, man. I think you just gotta, um, you gotta go through it. Like if if you're facing anxiety, which I did a lot, and I remember when I was younger, I would hear voices talking to me, man, and, and it would run me crazy. And what I would do is get into the word, I would read the Bible, um, and it will go away. And as I got continue to get older, as far as the suicides, the suicide thoughts is just I was always afraid to die, but I always felt like I didn't belong here. So, and I'm gonna say that again, I was afraid to die, but I didn't feel like I didn't belong here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and that's what stopped me from really killing myself because I was just afraid, you know. And and that was the one of the biggest things. But um, as I got older, man, I would say. I will say um, the anger issues stayed with me the longest. I had a very quick temper and zero, zero tolerance for anyone. Um, and I remember an incident when I went off to school, I went off to junior college and um, the art teacher, cause I'm an artist as well. He told me to use all pastel. So a crown, um, a coloring pencil uh, you you purchased. It's like 15 bucks. I didn't have any money. I was broke in college. So I still did the art piece that he needed me to do. And when he gave me an F, I went crazy. I mean, I lost it. I threatened the man. I told him I was going to kill him. And they was getting ready to kick me out of the school. And, you know, like, I don't know, as far as the story of me getting to college, I never graduated from, from high school. I don't even have a high school diploma. I went online and took a high school diploma for 50 bucks and I got denied at Miami Dade community college. I got denied at, at California community college. They wouldn't have helped me. So, but the, the community college of Minnesota, I got accepted. How? I don't know. I don't know what happened. I didn't ask any questions. I just went. Hmm. It took me three, three days to get there and I got on a Greyhound bus. I paid 50 bucks and I got there. So I knew when this school was going to kick me out, I was like, done. And I just, I just left from being homeless, but my anger was getting ready to get me get ready to destroy my life. And one thing I learned about life, man, you can go through so many trials. You can, you can go through so much. And if you let your anger take the best of you, you are just another statistic Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter. Like you gotta be able to overcome it. You have to, and a test is a testimony, which we all know. But you have to overcome it. Nobody is not going to feel bad for you. Nobody. You're going to have. God is going to send people in your life that's going to help you. And He sent this lady named is Carol Graham. She's from Minnesota. She was my counselor at this junior college. And I remember Miss Carol Graham bringing me in to sit down and ask me questions. She she took her time out. This is the first female lady that was in my life at this time that I felt like she cared about me Mm -hmm. and she asked me questions. She said, "Um, where's your mom? Where's your dad? And I said, well, I don't have that. And I actually told her they both passed away and it wasn't. I just was a shame of my life, man. I was embarrassed of who I was for a long time. I I hid behind the curtain for a very long time. I didn't want people to know my story. I I was very afraid to to, to come out and tell people because I always felt like people would laugh at me oh, your mom on drugs, because I was always told when I was younger that I was going to be like my crackhead mom. Mm-hmm. And so it, it embarrassed me to, to even mention her. Uh, and, and then I didn't, I never seen my dad at this time. I didn't know how he looked, So that was embarrassed because, you know, growing up, seeing guys with their fathers and somebody to say, well, you didn't have your dad in your life. You know, I didn't want people to so say, well, they just passed away. And so when I told her that, she said, well, we cannot kick this kid out of here. And I just left from being homeless. She said, we can't kick him out. And we got to keep him here. And so at that point, I said, I got to change my attitude. I cannot let the, he, and I I stand on this right here. He who angers you, controls you. He who angers you, controls you. Mm -hmm. And so I tell myself that every single day. And I don't let people get me anchored because I don't want people to control me. And then once someone controls you, you react off emotions and you can mess your whole life up
0: like you did with that teacher. I mean, that's exactly what you had.
1: Yeah. It's a lot of anger. Yeah.
0: So was that able to get reconciled between that teacher and you?
1: Well, no. Um, she took, my counselor took me out of the class and, um, I went into a, I, I didn't do art anymore. And art was actually a talent that I had very good at it. And I had to take health class. So. Mm-hmm. But it worked out for the best. Um, and I, I graduated with my associate's degree. And I actually two months ago, I got inducted into the Hall of Fame into my college. And Miss Carol Grimm was there. And I brought her up and I gave her her roses. I told her, she <laughs> <they,
0: laughs> did God. it
1: great. She's 80 years old and she cried. And so it was something big for her. Um, and and, and w- w- what I learned from Ms. Carol Grimm Later, that Ms. Carol Grimm, before she was a college counselor, she worked with foster kids, and I was like, "Wow, God is God just had everything just just plugged in, and 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 it made sense why she understood. And so um, I think understanding is key, man. And I think people make life. I mean, some people don't get the opportunity that I had. Some some people never get a chance, you know, like. They, they lose they, they temper or they go crazy and they end up in jail or they get kicked out. Anything can happen, you know, and I was given a um, another shot. So well, the,
0: all of those things actually did happen to you. I mean, you yeah. were actually in incarceration over something that you didn't do and you right. had been rejected by not only your mom, but also your aunts and kicked out at age 11 and then again on the streets. I mean, you think about it, And then it's, it's crazy for me to hear you say a lot of kids didn't have the opportunities that you've had. And I'm thinking, yeah, they, they certainly haven't because you've endured so much yet you're that, that ability that you had, that God was obviously giving you through, first of all, that meeting that meet up with Noah Wilbanks, but he began to give you the ability to see through and to mitigate these things that were going on in your life. That's the grace right. of God, even if you didn't recognize it.
1: Right, right. No, it's and 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 you look at the names, Noah and Genesis, the two first guys I meet when I get out of jail.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: You know, what a coincidence. So um, I would say, man, I, I wouldn't trade I wouldn't trade anything for wisdom, man. Wisdom is better than silver than gold. Mm-hmm. And that was something that God is like I prayed for wisdom every single day. And I remember Noah would say that he said, "Pray for wisdom." And I didn't know what wisdom was when he said it. I just prayed for it because he said it. Yeah. And I learned what wisdom was as I got older. And, I, and the more I would talk to people, people were like, "Wow, man, you're a wise dude, man. To be so young." And you know, I was always able to see it from a different perspective, man. And, I, and I'm very, I'm very thankful for um, for 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 God just allowing me to see it and and understanding when you have eyes that you can see and you have ears that you can't hear. And yeah. so, and I know a lot of people, they, they still stuck. And, and, um, and I just hope, man, those people that still stuck and they can't really see the bigger picture. Uh, and I just pray that they able to see it one day, man. Uh, and I, and I know just keep holding on, keep having patience, keep believing. Um, The storm is not going to last long. Every trial, Every test is only there to make you better. It's only there to make you stronger. You just gotta endure through it. Don't kill yourself. Don't commit suicide. And get through it. Yeah. You get through it. It's something on the other side of it. It's guaranteed. And 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 one one thing that I saw, if God if God couldn't use me, he was gonna use someone else. You know. And so, um, as I got through some a lot of these trials and tribulations, and as I got older, I would go speak to people. And man, there's so many people come, they crying, and it's like, wow, man, you testing. and it made me cry. I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, you know, it blessed me to see other people get um be a, be affected from my my testimony, you know. And I think that's that that was all God's plan, and it's part of my healing process. Like I'm yeah. still healing from this, and so um, every time I share my story, when people tell me, man, wow, man, uh, and, and I'm continue to heal from it. i will continue to have more understanding, and and I think understanding is key in, in all of this.
0: It certainly is. Now, when you graduated with that uh, associate's degree, what was the path from there to the NFL? What was all involved in that?
1: So after I graduated associate's degree, I went off into UL Lafayette, and um, I was promised a scholarship. I didn't do I didn't get the scholarship, and I left UL Lafayette, and I went to Nichols State University. I was given a partial scholarship The next day I earned a Mm -hmm. full scholarship. Um, After that, I played in the triple option, which means the receivers do not see the ball at all. So the triple option, we have three running backs in the backfield. They run the ball 90% of the time. We pass the ball 10%. Um, When I got there, I was told I wasn't going to get the ball as much. And I got the ball a lot. I mean, not a lot, but a little bit. But I still was able to break records. And – it led me. It led me to the NFL. I led the country in yards per catch. I had thirty one point one catch, which is a lot. Um, and the guy that actually went in the first round uh, of the draft, he he was second behind me. So his name was Demaris Thompson. Um, rest in peace. I know he passed away like two years ago. He mm-hmm. played for the Denver Broncos. <laughs> but um, man, it was just it was just a beauty, man. And 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 football, I always looked at football as an outlet for me. It was an outlet for me Um, because when I was in college, I never shared my story. So football was me getting out and and getting the anger out and and running around, scoring touchdowns, having fun. And and it got me to the NFL. I went off to the Chicago Bears. I was undrafted, and um, I cracked my tibia in training. So that was another trial that I faced. And while I was training, I cracked my tibia, and I ended up still going to the NFL. I go to Chicago Bears. I build a good relationship with Lovey Smith and Mike Marks. And I said, well, this is the team I want to go to if I go undrafted. After that, I get cut I, well, because my tibia was cracked. Mm-hmm. And then Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, he brings me in for a workout. He signs me. I'm there for four weeks. I get cut from there. I strain my calf muscle. And then I get picked up by the Green Bay Packers, and I win the Super Bowl. After that, I went off to um, the Canadian Football League, the Winnipeg. Then I played in the UFL with Omaha, Nebraska. I played arena football Uh as well. So, and then after that, I went and ran track. Um, I ran, I was trying to make the Haiti team. I clocked 10 twos, 10 sevens. Um, I was super fast. And after that, um, I started to raise my son. And right now, my my son, um, currently right now, he plays for Wake Forest. He was one of the top players in the country. And... um, Phenomenal man! I raised him, and then uh, also helped raise my nephew. He played for South South Carolina Gamecocks um, in the SEC. His name is J- Jamal White. My son' name is Antonio Robinson Jr. And I helped out many more other kids along the way. Um, wow! So,
0: what a yeah. story!
1: What a story!
0: Now, I know you're down there now in South Florida. We've got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, you are a trainer. So how did you get involved in that post all this athleticism? And uh, where you're yourself, you're a pro athlete. That's a big feat in and of mm-hmm. itself. But now you're helping other people through training. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So so the way I got into training, my, my cousin Cyrus, um, when I said the poster child, when I was, because when I was young, man, I, I worked out from ninth grade. I didn't have the grades to play um high school football until my senior year. And the reason why, because I was arrested at 14, my ninth grade year. When I got out of juvenile, the juvenile system, I had A's and B's. So I pretty much I had a high GPA, maybe like a four point something. My high school, South Day high school would not um accept none of those grades. So they gave me a 0.0. They gave me all zeros. So I went into my sophomore year with a 0.0, 0 GPA. Mm. So I had to work my way up to get that those grades, the 2.0, my senior year. So throughout that time, my ninth grade year, being with Noah Wilbanks, all the way to my 12th grade year, I worked out every single day like I had the grades. My sophomore year did not have the grades. I bust my butt. Junior year did not have the grades. I bust my butt. I had I already saw the vision. I said I'm going to bust my butt because I will have these grades my senior year. And it took a while from the work from a 0.0, 0 GPA. But um, my cousin he called it out. He said, "Man, you're going to be a trainer, man." He said, "You work out too much." He said, "If you don't go to the NFL, you're going to be a trainer." So, so you know, I kept that in my heart. So after that, when I started, when I came home and I started to raise my son, um, I started training him at the age of nine. And a couple of his buddies, I was training them for free, and, and then they grew from there, man. I ended up getting a, like an NFL guy named John Green. He was, um, well, he was playing at UConn first. I helped him get off to the NFL, um, and then I just knew from there, man, this is what I'm gonna be doing, um, training, and and uh, I grew my business um, on Instagram. It's called Next Level Underscore Speed. So, um, and I just grew it from there, man. I've just been doing it for the past what nine, ten years now. That's unreal it's been amazing. What an
0: amazing story. And it all began with uh, a chance meeting in a park with Noah Wilbanks. And he was one of those first people that really gave you that uh, kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Amen. Well, I really appreciate your being with me today, telling your story and how can people find out more about you? How can they get involved in one of these? Because it sounds like you do some training over the Internet.
1: Correct. So I have an um, Internet. I mean, my TikTok is Antonio Robinson, my full name. Um, they can also they can DM, DM me on there. <clears throat> they can go to Instagram. It's next Level underscore speed. Um, they can go in there and contact me as well. My personal page where I kind of share my stories, I have a bunch of clips on there going more in depth into my story, um, great motivation for young kids or even older people. It's I, Tonio Robinson. I, Tonio Robinson on Instagram.
0: Okay. Man, I've really enjoyed getting to know you, Antonio. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being with us today on the program.
1: not thank you, man. And um, like always, God first and God is the greatest.
0: Welcome back to Afternoons with Mike here on The Shepherd. I recently had the chance to sit down with Neil Momin. He is the co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. Here's my chat with Neil. With me right now is co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. It is Neil Momin. Neil, we've been on the phone, but you're always in Idaho, and I'm in Florida, and yet uh, the phone lines are, they, they connect us, yes, and we're there amazing. together. But here we are face-to-face, man. It's great to have you here. <laughs> Thank you for having me, in, our, in, in the free state
2: of Florida. The free state of Florida, yes. <laughs> May ever be free. <laughs> That's what
0: I say. So tell us a little bit about what's going on right now. Now, in a culture that is more divided than any time in my life, I'm just turned 70, Neil, and I've never seen a time that you look is, great, by the well, way.
2: <laughs> I would never have guessed that. Well, thank you. <laughs> I was betting you were a lot younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: and we are we're, we're really looking for people. I believe all of the world is the, the moms and pops, the flyover states, all of us in America that believe in the foundations of the Judeo-Christian ethic, we're we're wanting somebody to stand up and say, enough nonsense. Stop it. Let's go back. Let's believe the Bible. Let's do what we should be doing. And there aren't, in my mind, enough voices like yourself. And that's what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you said nonsense, and I think that's a key word there. When something, I always say, if something is so stupidly obviously wrong, it has to be and yet people are doing it it has to be planned yeah right it's so, not an accident yeah, it's, it's not that an accident dumb, right I mean, <laughs> I mean people don't go around saying yeah <laughs> men should compete with women yeah. just by changing their name they can now compete with women and and the person Body who in the would world. is like 600th on the men's league shows up as first on the women's league you're yeah. like well, something's wrong it's like it's like when when uh, i think it was a complaint the nba the the women's basketball association you know they said, uh, hey, how come we're not paid as much as the men? And a high school team of boys said, well, the reason you're not paid as much as the men is because we can beat you. And and it was true because they could. that team was able mm. to beat the, one of the best NBA, the women's basketball teams. Uh, so you realize that women are just not made differently than men. And so when you look at that and you go, there's something really stupidly wrong here. And nobody can yeah. actually believe this. Yeah. But, I agree. But you've got to separate this up into the leaders and the followers, right? And you have to understand that what we've done is in by sending our kids to public schools and allowing the public schools to be taken over, they've come up with a mentality of uh, there is no absolute truth. There is no objective truth. So the only difference between you and me, or uh, not you and me, but me, right. and, me and some leftists is not because we believe different objective truths are true. It's just we believe different things. So if I come and I say, look, I believe that men are not women, they're like, well, that's just your truth. My truth is this. Our clan, our group of people believes this truth. Your group of people believe that truth. And it means nothing. We don't care what, there is no truth, so we don't care what the reality is. We just believe this. So when you come and say, or when I come, either of us go up and we say, no, this is the truth. They're like, no, no, no. You're just saying that because you're of the other clan. Yeah, right. And we're like, no, no, we're saying this because it's true, because we can use science, we can use, you know, and of course they like to use science on their own side. No, no, whenever the yeah. science has been used correctly, it's been a, it's been on, on God's side, because God's the creator of science, right? But at the same time, they just, so it's, the argument has to start with, is there truth? Is there an objective truth? Mm-hmm. As uh, my good friend Frank Turk, you know, he does, you know, you probably know about him well too. Uh, he, he does a conference in, sc- in universities and he starts with, is there an objective truth? Is is truth real? Right. That's the first thing. Because if you yeah. can't establish that, and by the way, the answer to it is is truth real is quite easy. Yes. Because if somebody ever says yeah. there is no truth, you just say, is that true? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> we, uh, that question
0: has been asked by Pilate. Oh yeah. I mean, you so know, it's been true? around, uh, uh, you know, thousands of years. Right? Thousands of years, and yet we're being called to believe this crazy lie. that uh, this thing is i mean you we were talking earlier with um abraham hamilton who is here
2: good guy good friend
0: yes he's just amazing and was talking about the fact that we have a supreme court justice just a year ago (laughs) who is going in now to be in one of the most important positions of of law in the united states Mm -hmm. for life a position held for life not able or not willing to be able to say what a woman is.
2: Right, because she knows that their clan. Well, of course, I think in her case. So remember, we have to differ- differentiate between the leaders and the followers. And in her case, she knows the truth. She fully knows the truth. She just knows that it's going to be unpopular for her to say it, so she's not going to say it. Yeah. I don't think she has any doubt what a woman really is, right?
0: I would hope not. <laughs> I, I, I would hope she has no doubts at all.
2: And most of us have no doubts, but there are people who follow blindly who've been... and So you have to break this down and understand that the reason we are in this situation is, as I said, is planned. It's been planned from the 1930s and 1950s when the Marxists and the communists and you know the Hegelian Marxists from the Fra- Franklin Institute... Uh, basically said, we can't create a socialist America unless we break down the independent America. Mm-hmm. So this is all planned with that. And you have to understand with communism, the reason why it sells a lot of people. And, and we've mentioned on the show. I come from a Marxist family. And yes, my father was an atheist and a Marxist, and my uncles are all Marxist. But uh, what happens is there the TI yeah, Marxist idea. And a lot of people get confused. They think of they look at China and they say, well, that's Marxism or communism, and it's not because it's never worked right uh, but what is the marxism and communism that they sell the kids they sell it because it's a stateless classless society mm-hmm. now a stateless classless society means there's no government there's no classes so when fidel castro went and sold the stateless class of society to cuba which had a hierarchy and and a you know uh crony capitalist class they were like oh this is a great idea let's do it so fidel castro gets all the, the locals, the indigenous people who love the idea to go out and kill everybody and take over, and then they're supposed to turn it over and make it a stateless classless. But now Fidel Castro has all this power. Why would he ever give it up? Right. And so he never gave it up. Never right? did. So And that's the same thing that happened with Mao. That's the same thing that happened with, with Lenin and Stalin. So they get into power, and it never goes into the stateless, not, not to mention the stateless classless idea will not work. We know that it doesn't work because it didn't work for the pilgrims back when they landed on Plymouth Rock. You know, the the communal idea, just they were all starving. And then finally they decided, no, 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 we've got to give everybody a plot of land. And suddenly they had so much that they were able to celebrate Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the origin of Thanksgiving. But the reality is that the stateless, classless thing is so compelling to kids who see what is actually crony capitalism, and they call it capitalism. And so now, coming back to your, winding it back to what's happening now. Well, I think our, um, a lot of our established Republican base are basically pawns of this whole system. And in many senses, I think that a lot of the establishment Republicans are controlled opposition. Hmm. They want to stay in power. They want to all start. They will roll over. And it's unless we, now, is the Republican Party Christian? No, but it's closest in principles to godly principles so we've got to start there because it's going to be very hard to start our own party and do anything else right so what we need to do is take it back and that means we need these hardcore conservatives who understand the principles of government the biblical principle of government a lot of which is in my book jesus mm-hmm. is involved in politics uh which i itemized those principles and we need to go and make it happen and here's the amazing thing when those principles happen the country prospers. Everybody prospers. Look, look at, we took Obama's economy. The country is falling apart. Horrible things are happening. Trump comes in, and I don't even know if he's a believer, but he says, look, these, he's surrounded by believers. He says, these are the principles we're going to, and within four years, we have the most booming, vibrant economy. We've energy gotten, independent. Energy independent. Yeah. We've gotten rid of the, uh, the uh, what's the ISIS? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Obama said it yeah. couldn't be done. We've We've done so many things. And yet and within two years after Biden comes in, it's all back to the same thing. Yeah. So the change can happen and, and, and it cracks me up when they say, Oh, there's inflation. You know what causes inflation? It's not the interest rates, it's printing money.
0: That's right. <laughs> it, it well, and, and that's being done because of the amazing, just amazingly bad decisions that are being made that are just costing trillions and trillions of dollars.
2: You're just you're you're spending money for nothing. And yeah. now of course, uh, to, not to jump into this but california's talking about reparations <laughs> uh, by the way let oh me let me goodness. just let me point oh my this out Th- there you don't ask for reparations from people who never owned slaves who probably came to the country after the slavery was all over and by the way slavery never benefited anybody mm-hmm. because every single person who made money of slavery their entire lands their entire property was all taken away from them and destroyed during the reconstruction yeah so nobody made any money on slavery. It was a yeah. horrible thing, and, the, and, and um, what, 800,000 of our boys died. That's yeah. 10% of all men in America died. Isn't that something? Right? Yeah. And this is the biggest price we've ever paid for anything. So we've all paid for slavery, and now for you to have reparations, I'll tell you there is one group of people who should pay reparations. And I may have mentioned this before. Yeah. Democrats. Democrats. <laughs> exactly. They I were knew there. You were before. Say that. They were there before. They were there now. They got billions of dollars. They should be paying the reparations. Not me, because yeah. I didn't have any slaves. You didn't have any slaves. Right. But their party did, mm-hmm. and their party fought for it. They were the Jim Crow people. I want Democrats to pay the reparations. Yes, give reparations to all black people, but it's got to be Democrats. A Cu- couple of conditions though. You've got to have an ancestor who actually was a slave. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: Right. Obama would not qualify. <laughs>
0: right. You know, it's really, uh, this is a heartbreaking thing to realize that something is as, as uh, let's say, far-reaching. I think that's pretty generous to say it that way. As far-reaching of an attempt to try to do something right as what this appears to be and, and that they are actually believing it. They're well, actually
2: at- talking as if this can be done. Well, it's because Newsom wants to run for president. Yeah. Gavin yeah, Newsom just wants to run for president. He, he, he used... The marriage in San Francisco to run for governor, right? That was his leverage to fame to run for governor. Became lieutenant governor and then governor, right? And now it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do reparations. I'm going to run. So every leftist, every black person is going to say, oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, the question is, I don't think California can, I mean, we left California, as you know. I escaped California. (laughs) Um, But now, because I was born in Ghana, I guess I could qualify as African-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we <laughs> my ancestor was not a slave, they were slave to the British, maybe, but not to the, right. not to the Americans. um so we we might move back to California and Hey, you know, if they're going to hand out money and they're stupid enough. I'm going to take it. <laughs>
0: I get it. Neil Mom, and it's always great to have you here and to see what's uh, going on with every Black Life Matters. And so say hello to Kevin. If yeah, you will.
2: yeah, Kevin, uh, good buddy. He's here at the show. Kevin, I think I saw him yeah, from a distance. Yeah, he's he's here. here. Yeah, you should try and grab yeah. him. Kevin's amazing. Yeah. I tell you, I've never worked with a, a man I admire more before in any of the companies or anything. This man is just amazing, uh, Kevin McGarry. Man. Kevin McGarry, godly man, just wonderful to work with, um, and he has got a new book coming out, mm. DEI in 3D, mm-hmm. which is uh, going to talk about all the roots and foundations of DEI and how it's wrong and the alternative to it. I have a new book I'm working on, and it's called How to End Racism in America. Wow! And it's uh, that's a con- that's a great title. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, I I think we were talking about about two to three months out. Um, I'll definitely have to let you know when it's.
0: Please, up. please give me a call, Neil Mammon. Give us your web address.
2: Yeah. So our uh, the every Black Life web web address is everyblm.com. My book, Jesus is involved in politics, is at jesusisinvolvedinpolitics.com. That's yeah. And that's the book that kind of you need to give your to your pastor. Take him out of lunch, show him the book, and say, Hey, uh, tell me why this book is wrong. Because he won't read it if you give it to him, but if you actually take him out of lunch and ask him about it, he will you will try to read it.
0: That was Neil Momin, so grateful that he was able to be with us. And that's all my time for today. I'll be back next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.